truly is a very special Sunday indeed, Vision Sunday 2015. What we mean by that is this is an opportunity to reflect on what God has been doing over our past ministry year, an opportunity to worship together as a family, and I trust you took uh, time to read the uh, mailing that you received uh, this week, a great celebration of what God has been doing over the past year, and now we get to see and hear even more. Our purpose today is to be reminded and to give praise to our Lord for what He has done through us, see the value of all that we are giving ourselves to, and to see the areas where we can continue to invest through our time and our treasures and our talents. Now we're going to hear this morning from each one of our full-time ministry staff each touching on areas under their responsibility. And then as we listen to them, you will hear presented uh, what we're going to be sharing. We've done this year internally, what we've been involved in, and externally, our investments through the ministry that we have created in this place. And as we move through this, we're going to reflect on what we've done, and then we are going to consider how we can respond again through our time and our talents and our treasures. So we'll begin with Sean McGinnis, our Director of Youth and Group Development. And after that, we'll be followed by Ellen Putback, our Director of Child Development. And later, you'll be hearing from Scott Millard, our Director of Ministry Development. And I would just like to pray as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the beauty of the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the beauty of yourself, who you are in all of your splendor and glory and majesty. And we are here to worship you, to reflect on what you are doing in our midst, to recommit ourselves to what you have called us to do for your purposes, for your glory. Would you bless what we are going to do today? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks, Barry, for that introduction. And I apologize for the people up in the balcony for the glare. Um, It's in our DNA. It's our design. It's the way that we're wired. We are made to be in relationships. We are made to be in marriages, in families. That sense of why we have friendships. It's because we are designed to be in relationships. We're designed to connect with one another to connect with each other through different phases of life throughout the entire journey that God has us here. We want to feel through those connections that we belong. It's the reason why we join clubs. It's the reason why we're on teams. It's the reason why we're here this morning. Because we want to feel like we belong to something. We feel that we want to have those connections and be in relationship with each other. So a couple of years ago, when we decided that we were going to redesign and, and launch our group's ministry, we did it with this very premise in mind, that life is better connected. Life is better connected. And we took our design of group ministry, and we around that one statement, around that one premise, that one principle, and said, you know what, that's how we're going to do it. That's the why people need to be connected in groups. And we said, as we, as we started to unfold that, we said, one of the most key aspects of our group ministry is going to be our leaders. Because it's a leadership-centric model. And investing 
in our leaders was going to be a huge component. And so for, for months and, and now for a couple of years, we have done the best that we can up to this point in investing in our leaders and making sure that they are equipped as best as they can be to create the best groups that there can be. Groups where the environment is safe to be who you are with authenticity. Groups where there's meaningful connection. Groups where there's fun. And what we've seen over the years, the couple of years that we've done this, is our group ministry completely exceed our expectations. There are more people in that first year that were connected and there were more groups than we thought possible. And then in year two, that number of people that were in connected in groups, that grew. The number of groups that we had to offer, that grew. And we just continued to see the Spirit move in this ministry. And I don't think it's any you know, crazy coincidence that we have great leaders in place and what we're doing is we continue to look back over the past couple of years and we see how important that is. As we move forward, we are continue to be committed to invest in those leaders and continue to find other people who are willing to lead groups. Because we understand and we know that what's really important when we talk about investing is investing in people. Investing in people and equipping people to do exactly what God calls us to do. And that's be connected to each other. We want leaders who are going to create groups and create environments where it's awesome to be connected deeper with each other. And it's important to continue to connect deeper with God. You know, one of the times that um, I preached, I, I shared this quote, and it's probably one of the ones that is actually at this point etched on my heart. And it's, it's simply 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter in a person's life is their relationship with Jesus Christ. A hundred years from now, the only thing that'll matter is a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to equip leaders that are going to connect people deeper with God and in that relationship. And that happens when we continue to connect with one another as well. We see the value in this as adults. We understand the importance of being connected with one another. We understand the importance of being in relationship. And as adults, if this is important, and we value this as adults, how much more important is it for our children?
No matter what. Say God loves me no matter what. I will. I will. I will. If someone teaches me, I will. If someone shows me the truth for the Bible. If someone shows me God's love. If someone helps me to know Him. Maybe that someone is you. Can you help do that? Can you show me that love? It doesn't take very long. I just need you to say it. I just need you to show it. I just need you to be there with me. And me. And me. Trust me. Your future depends on it. Well, guess what? As sweet as those kids are, the kids who are in this building this morning are even sweeter. Truly, they are. Um, those of you who are fortunate enough to be a parent of one of them, you know that. Those of you who already work with the kids in our ministry, you get that. You saw that and you said, oh, that's cute. But live is better. And we've got some great kids here. The truth is, God blesses us through children. There are many, many references to children in Scripture, and as we look at those verses, we get a feeling of God's heart for children. Listen to just a few things God says about children. The psalm tells us that children are a gift, and they are a reward. Hmm. Children have an innate sense of how to praise God. Proverbs tells us that children are a joy and that they bring happiness. Matthew reminds us that a child is the perfect role model of a citizen of heaven. Hmm. God reveals the deep truths of scripture only to those who are childlike. And Jesus affirmed the praise of children as something to be deeply valued. Paul tells Timothy that the young are to be an example to all believers. And God declares that children can understand scripture and they can get wisdom from it. Most interestingly, Luke points out that God chose to incarnate not as a king, not as a powerful prophet, not as a high priest, but as a baby. Children are very important to God. Along with the many blessings children bring to our lives, there also comes responsibility. Here are some sobering words from Psalm 78 and Deuteronomy 4. God decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. These verses are not suggestions and they're not commands only for some with special gifting. We will all have to answer whether we did our part to teach the next generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his power, and his mighty acts. So,
practically speaking, how do we make this happen? Some of you have children at home, and I encourage you to talk about God often in the everyday places of life. No matter how old your children are, they need to hear it from you again and again. And tell their friends, too. Some of you once had children at home, and now you have many other things on your minds. Make space for children again. Children in your neighborhood. Children right here in your church. Some of you don't have children. Some of you don't have children yet. Either way, recognize that children have a special place in God's kingdom, and you will experience joy, happiness, and you will reap a God-sized reward for sharing the love of Christ with a child. I'd like to help you do that. We've created lots of opportunities for you to share God's message of love, forgiveness, purpose, and hope with a child. You might want to start out simply by just holding a baby and helping her feel loved and secure in our nursery. Ellen Mulligan happens to be in the process of putting the spring schedule together. She'd love to tell you about that ministry and explain more about it. Our nursery caregivers typically serve two Sundays a month, about once a quarter. You may prefer children who can walk and are beginning to talk, and we currently have an opening for a one Sunday a month assistant. We also need someone to lead a few really simple Bible lessons for our two- and three-year-olds each of the Sundays in May. We have a new first-grade teacher, and she would love to be working with you. Our most beloved second- and third-grade teacher moved away this week, and our second- and third-graders would love to welcome you as an assistant in their classroom. For those of you who love God's Word, but you're really not sure that the classroom is the right place for you, we have numerous openings for big God storytellers, people who share the Bible story with our elementary kids. You can do that once a year, once a quarter, or once a month. You decide. Not quite ready to jump in at all? Our Friday night clubs, Boys Brigade and Pioneer Girls, are just now beginning to lay plans for the coming ministry year that starts in September. They would welcome your help from 7 to 9 p.m. on Friday night. You could help out just by coming out once or twice and sharing a hobby or a skill or a special interest you have. You could help with special events like the Pinewood Derby, outdoor trips, or maybe our daddy-daughter date night. You could serve as a father figure for some of the young boys who come to tree climbers alone. You could mentor a group of girls and help them understand what it means to invite Christ into every part of their lives. Come September, we'll need one more member of our special needs Sunday school team. If you want to think about some sweet kids, you should meet the kids in that classroom. They're incredible. Interest in our special blessings mom support group is growing. And we would welcome help touching moms with the message of hope, grace, and friendship. Do you really need to know much more before you decide to get involved? I get that. Me too. I'm analytical. Stay tuned for more details about an upcoming training session where we'll explore much more deeply what God says about children and how we can team up to reach them in the name of Christ. Does all of this talk about children just make you nervous? Guilty? Maybe the right way for you to get involved is simply to make coffee on Sunday mornings for our Sunday morning volunteers. They and some others truly do just appreciate a great cup of coffee to start the day. 
I have so much more to tell you, but not enough time here. Stay tuned for information on what God has been doing in children's ministry during the congregational meeting after the Besides celebrating what God has done over the past year, we also want to consider what he says as well. The question we want to consider today is this. Can you trust God with what you don't have? Can you trust God with what you don't have? We're going to see this from a couple of perspectives this morning at a couple different times during the service. So right now, the first time, the question supposes our perspective from Mark chapter 6. So... Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, considers the feeding of the 5,000. You may be familiar with this story. Jesus is moving around the area of Galilee. He happens to be in a boat with some disciples. He decides to move away to get alone, but the crowd hears about it, so they run to the place where he is about to disembark, and he finds a huge crowd of people there. And then we read this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered, You give them something to eat. They said, That would take more than a half year's wages. And are we to go and spend that much on bread to give them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. So this is our perspective. What's not? We don't have. It's late in the day, Lord. It's supper time. Send them away so that they can buy what they need. God's perspective is different. He's the great provider. In fact, He names Himself that. He's called Jehovah Jireh, which means the great provider. It's one of His names. He never starts from the place of not Having, follow me, this is a real simple and a very profound principle. God never starts from the perspective of not having. Because He's God. He's the great provider. Give them something to eat. Well, Lord, we don't have anything. How many loaves do you have? He always is going to start from the perspective of what you do have and what he has given you. That he means for you to then steward. And so comes this very logical lesson in the verses that follow. Start with what's in your hand. How many loaves do you have? Stop looking at what you don't have and would you just look down and see what you do have? Then, after they bring it to him, okay, we have five loaves and two fish. And he prays. Now, we just skip right over that one. Yeah, of course, you know, you know. now I lay me down to sleep. No, that's not it. I mean, that's that thing, you know, that you pray just before you eat, right? No. This wasn't perfunctory at all. 
In verse 41, he thanks God for what they have. Intentional gratitude for what is, not for what is not. Then, obediently use what's in hand. Give it to them. He gave it to their disciples to distribute it to them. I know, sounds a little obvious, but do you think that God has placed what he has in your hands because he means for you to distribute it to them? That's exactly what he's done. And then watch him do what only he can. Verse 43, they all ate and were satisfied. But if I give it away, I won't have a... Yes, you will. All ate and were satisfied. Again, I trust you read the newsletter, newsletter and saw what God has been doing through us over this past year. What do you do when you see and hear and are struck by what God has done? What do you do when you see what He is doing and that seems to indicate what He wants to continue to accomplish through us? What do you do? You respond. You respond with what you have in your hands. You see what is in your hands as what He has given you to steward for His purposes. Well, that's a great thought, but what does that look like? Well, we use our time and our talents as we've been challenged by Ellen and Sean to invest in what we do in ministry with people in this church, through our children, through our youth, and with adults. But we also give out of our treasures, our time, our talents, and our treasures. We give. Again, very simple, but you need to understand. That only happens when people do it regularly. Regular, committed giving. It's easy to get lost. You know, it's that moment in time when the ushers know they're supposed to come forward. It's this thing that happens in the service and if the worship team doesn't say it just right, they aren't sure if they're supposed to move it. You know that thing we just kind of, oh yeah, and the pastor prays and then this brass thing passes by? That is an act of worship. Because when you see what God is doing, you engage in what you want Him to continue to do through what He has given in your hands. The Bible teaches first fruits giving. Never mind the percentage of how much. You can talk about that at another point. Let me ask you this question. What is first? That's what the Bible clearly teaches. What is first? Would be a much more applicable question. In other words, I decide what it is that God means for me to give before I ever get the check. I decide to give before the end of the month. I decide before I pay my bills what it is that God intends for me to give out of what He has placed in my hands. That's called first fruit giving. Because we recognize that what's in our hands is what He has given. You know, that's such a challenging reality that I can tell you with confidence that I have spoken to every single leader in the highest levels of leadership in this church to make sure that I can say this. Every single one of them practices first fruits giving. They decide, before they pay their bills, 
before the end of the month, before the check even arrives, exactly what God wants them to give. That's regular giving. And it gets super, super practical. It shows up in these things called envelopes. You hear us talking about them at the end of the year and at the beginning of the year. They're available. And we encourage you to practice first fruits giving through this very practical avenue. On the envelope are three different things. The general fund, missions, and deacons fund. We have three simple organizational funds. And this is how we do almost everything. Through our general fund. And you take an envelope and you indicate how much goes in the general fund. Through our missions fund, which is we call which we call faith promise, and we'll, you're going to hear more about that in a few weeks. But that also is some, is something that's completely different. When you put money just in the plate on Sunday morning, it doesn't support what we're doing around the world. You have to indicate that you want it to go to that. And we give about $175,000 a year to sustain ministries around the world outside of us, and we do it specifically through that fund. And then the deacons fund. I don't know if you noticed in the newsletter. A hundred dollars short of a hundred, hundred dollars short of one hundred thousand dollars last year that we used to give and help people in need. But you have to specifically do that too. That's indicated on here or also at communion time each, uh, Sunday. This pink envelope is put in the, uh, is it put in the uh, bulletin to help people remember to sustain that ministry as well. This is how we give regularly. These three major forms or funds. General fund, faith promise, and the deacon's fund. Simple. We give regularly by plan and design, week in and week out, just like you get paid, week in and week out. Do you plan your regular giving? Do you have these envelopes as a part of your first fruits organization? Or do you just kind of show up and wonder, you know, oh yeah, I guess a little of this this week. Because God tells us that's the way we're supposed to do it. Do you see that God starts by looking at you and saying, how many loaves do you have? You begin with what's in your hand. I'm going to pray because we're about to take an offering. And we just do that. I want us to pray asking God to help us see what we have in our hands and how we plan and prepare to distribute to those what He has given us for His purposes. And as we do that, we're going to watch a video that's going to show you some of the many things we were able to do because faithful people like yourselves are doing exactly that. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've You've given us. Forgive us for so quickly and so often defaulting to what we don't have. Help us to see what we do have, what you've given, and encourage our hearts as we practice this discipline by seeing what you have accomplished through what we have given in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So Sean, Ellen, and Barry have talked with us about being engaged with our time and with our talents and with our treasures right here in the ministries that happen at Bethlehem, in this building. And that's an essential part about 
who we are as a church and what we're called to do as a church. But while it's essential, it's not sufficient. So the question I want us to consider briefly, why? Why do we invest in the ministries here? Why do we invest in equipping ourselves? Why do we invest in equipping our children? We need to invest in equipping ourselves because God is preparing us for a walk He wants to take outside of here, for a walk He wants us to take with others in our communities and around the world. We need to invest in equipping ourselves because we need to get ourselves into the proper shape. Because some of the walks God wants us to take are long. And there's walks He calls us to take individually, and there's walks that He calls us to take corporately, together as a church family. And as we walk, we will develop relationships. And if the longer we walk, the deeper those relationships will become. This past year, we have walked further with some of our old friends. And we've just begun to walk with some new friends. We continued walking with our friends from Family Promise. We hosted the temporary shelter for three weeks. We finished our shower and laundry facilities, which were met with just absolutely rave reviews. And we had a new opportunity to host their holiday party. 160 guests from their current residents, their former residents, their staff, and their volunteers gathered here to celebrate Christmas. In this coming year, we're going to walk even further with them. We're going to host the shelter for four weeks. Our next hosting week in May is going to look a little different than any one we've done before because they've asked us if the guests could move in on Saturday night instead of Sunday to help them solve another problem, and we have agreed. So mark your calendar for May 9 through 17. You can join us on our walk with Family Promise. Because of our deepening relationship with Family Promise, I was recently invited to join their Coordinators Advisory Committee, and Pastor Barry was invited to give the invocation at their upcoming banquet. And I've already received numerous requests about our willingness to host the holiday party again next year. Because you see, as our relationships grow deeper, we have more and more opportunity for ministry. Last year at Harvest Home, we began a new walk together as a church family, which was built off of walks many in our congregation have already taken as individuals. We began to challenge ourselves last fall with this question of how, as a church, can we be more intentionally engaged in the orphan crisis around the world? You may recall from the last time that we looked at our orphan framework together, we still had one empty box because we hadn't yet figured out what the first step in addressing the issue of orphan emancipation locally was going to be. Well, a funny thing happened. About a week after Harvest Home, we got a call out of nowhere from an organization called Somerset Home that focuses on just that issue. And they reached out to us to see if we could help them with the problem they were having. And while we couldn't actually help them with what they asked us to do, it opened up the door for a conversation in the beginning of a relationship. And our youth were able to partner with them to meet a totally different need that they had and help provide Christmas gifts and household necessities for some of the youth in their program over the holidays. It was an exciting first step 
of a walk with a new organization, even more exciting because of how God orchestrated the beginning of that relationship. And at long last, we were able to finally take a first step to develop a relationship with the Division of Child Protection and Permanency. And we're looking forward to Sunday, May 17th, when we're going to host an orphan fair here, bringing together many organizations from our local community who can challenge us and give us opportunity to both individually and corporately get engaged in all facets of orphan ministry in our local community. And we've only scratched the surface of all the things that God is doing through us individually and corporately as we serve our local community. God has great plans for us. And He has even greater things that He wants us to do. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our next step? So all of our walks begin right here, because that's where we are. But sometimes our walks will take us very, very far away. As we reflect on what God is doing today through this congregation around the world, we need to look all the way back to our first days as a church. When our church was founded in 1895, is the Swedish, Swedish Free Mission Church of Dover. Missions was so important to our founders that they put it in the name. And in 1924, we sent our first missionaries, Gus and Tilly Bostrom, to the field in Venezuela. And over the past 90 years, we have supported over 80 missionaries. And with the addition of our two newest missions families this past year, Alex and Shannon Deutscher and Michelle and Aaron Larson, we are currently supporting 23 missionaries working around the globe who are answering God's call to go. But our global engagement doesn't end with them. Over this past year, we have deepened our relationship with the Rafiki Foundation. As part of our Harvest Home offering, we provided emergency support for the Rafiki Village in Liberia, which still today remains under quarantine because of the ongoing Ebola crisis. There's still Ebola-free in the village, everybody's safe, and while the crisis seems to be getting contained within the country, they're still taking precautions to protect everyone living there. The funds we sent helped them to provide for a new generator and new satellite equipment for the village, which is essential to its ongoing operations and safety of everybody there. Because right now there's no functioning electrical company in Liberia, and satellite communication is the only way to communicate. We also provided funding through Harvest Home for a Rafiki private Christian school. They currently have 115 students enrolled in their rice program. And Rafiki is hoping that some of the first graduates later this year will begin the process of starting those schools. And through our Family Worship Advent Project, we were able to purchase dress clothes for all 40 of the boys in the village in Rwanda. In this June, 10 people from our church family are going to get to go and see those clothes in person. Because just like deepening relationships locally leads to more opportunities for ministry, so does deepening relationships globally. Two years ago, we sent a team to the Rafiki village in Rwanda 
to help run their semester break games program. And based on the success of that team and our growing relationship with Rafiki and these other areas, their school director in Rwanda contacted us and asked if we'd be willing to bring a team back this year, but not just to help. This year they wanted us to plan and execute the entire games program. An exciting opportunity to be sure, but one that needs just the right people and just the right leader. And as I look back now over the past two years, I can see how God has been equipping and developing people in our ministry here, preparing them for this opportunity. I'm excited that Kelsey Putback, who was part of our team two years ago, has agreed to be the team leader. And she's come up with the most unique idea for, for Rwanda in June and July. Snow. I know what you're thinking. There is nothing exciting about snow right now. But you don't live in Rwanda, where it never gets below 65 degrees. Two years ago, our team was privileged to get to take the kids in the village swimming for the very first time. And this year, we're going to get to give them their very first winter experience. So pray for these 10 people as they plan and prepare. Because if they're going to be successful, they will need each of us to partner with them prayerfully and financially. Once again, we've just barely scraped the surface of what we're engaged in globally. With our 23 career missionaries, with opportunities for us to get involved personally through short-term trips, each of these people has been called by God to go. But what about the rest of us? How do we get involved, especially if God is not calling us right now to go? How do we get involved globally? I'm glad you asked. And I'm glad Pastor Barry's going to come and give us the answer. How would we do that? Well, that would take faith on our part. You see, here's the second perspective on our question. Can you trust God with what you don't have? Mark chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Listen to what they said. Where did this man get his wisdom? Where did he learn these things? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't his son, I mean, isn't, Mary, isn't this Mary's son? And isn't he the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And, and they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. In the previous perspective, they didn't think what they had was enough. We don't think what we have is enough. In this perspective, they, don't, they think that what they have is all that they need. 
Who is this guy? Can't you just imagine the conversation? Who does this guy think he is and what does he have to offer us? Yeah, he's just that kid from over on Elm Street. Yeah, I know his rascal brothers. If he's anything like them, I took his sister to the prom. There's nothing real special about this guy. Wow. Before, we didn't know what we had in hand. Now, we don't want to accept what's right in front of us. Can you trust God with what you think you don't need? They didn't see what they could have. They didn't have faith. We don't recognize what we could have for our lack of faith. What does it mean to have faith? It means recognizing who we have, not simply what we have. And this is the above and beyond. This is not so plainly seen. This takes faith, and it takes faith in someone, not just in something. This is the difference between the regular giving in the envelope box. I didn't lift that up. This is what it looks like. You can get one from the office if you don't have one. This is the difference between that and the above and beyond. And the above and beyond giving, we do around here out of what we once didn't think that He would or could provide, and now we know He will provide because of who He is. You see, the Bible talks about tithes, and it talks about offerings, and that's not some kind of poetic parallelism. Like, it's the same thing. It talks about tithes, that's the regular giving, and then it talks about offerings, and that's the above and beyond. And it talks about them over and over and over. And if you weren't challenged enough, guess what? God says it isn't just about what you can see that you have in your hand, but it is about who is in front of you as the great provider to do even above and beyond what you can think or imagine. We can trust Him Because we know this is what He wants us to do. And that He never asks us to do what He will not provide for. Mark chapter 6, verse 6. Would He be, or is He, amazed at our lack of faith? So for this reason, we have opportunities every year that we create to help you give even above and beyond. Short-term missions, which... Uh, Scott just talked about, and this week, as a matter of fact, you're going to get a letter about that team that's going. What a great opportunity. What confidence they have in us to say, you guys need to come and do this so that some of our people can take a break and get some... Actually, she's coming back to do some educational things so she's better equipped to go back and do what she does full-time. They're trusting us completely. That team is a great place for us, above and beyond, to invest in. That's what we do at Harvest Home. We often, well, every once in a while, we have envelopes that look like this. They're a different color. This is the above and beyond giving. This is our saying to God, you have been so good and you are so great. I trust you and I trust you with even more. This is what we do with our Advent projects. So, can you trust God with what you don't have? Will you? Think you don't have enough? Stop looking at what's not. Because God's asking you what's in your hand. Start stewarding what is. 
It is what He has provided. Start using it for Him and His purposes or continue to use it for Him and His purposes and watch what He does. He will multiply and He will satisfy. That's our regular giving, our first fruits giving. Get the envelopes in your discipline. And as a matter of fact, for some of you who are saying, I don't even write checks anymore, well, we're going to be introducing some online giving in the near future that's going to help you with that process. But even now, you can already set up an online payment with your bank and just establish the church as a recipient. And there's little memo lines and you can determine where it goes to general giving or to uh, deacon's fund or to faith promise. You can already do that. Is that a part of what you do with what God has given in your hands. Do you think you have all you need? And you don't need any more challenge to your faith by this Jesus who lives in your little world. You see, because Jesus has this habit of coming home right among his own. And we wouldn't ever want said of us, would we? That only in his hometown is a prophet not honored. Sometimes we complain about what we don't have and other times we complain about what he's asking us to accept that's right in front of us. Can you trust God with what you think you don't have? Can we see what we could have? Can we trust him to grow our faith? Can we recognize who we have and not simply what we have and that we can do above and beyond? It takes an act of faith, but it's an act of faith in someone, not in some. Thing. Look at what you have in hand and ask Him how you can better steward that. Look at what you have in hand in your talents and your time and ask Him how you can engage more greatly in that in this church, in the varied ways of service that we have reflected today from our children all the way through adults. And then look at the one who is in your life and ask Him what else you can give for His purposes, not yours. Maybe He wants you to stretch you to do sing things with your time and your talents you've never done before. I just had somebody come up to me today and say, I'm looking at retirement and I want to use the talents that I used in that right here in this church and I've got an idea, what do you think? And I thought, that is a fantastic idea. Going above and beyond and doing even more because, as she put it, there's still an act three. There's so much to invest in that is so good, that is God's, and that is everlasting, like we have celebrated today. Let's let that drive our stewardship, both of what we have in hand, in our gifts, in our abilities, our time, and our talents, and also our treasures. And then, let's trust Him for even more that he wants to use for bringing about more of what we've celebrated today. So we're going to finish our time this morning by singing together, and I invite the worship team to come, praise and commitment through song. Listen to these words. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, kneeling on this battleground, Seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but joy 
our hearts with joy, our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. For you are faithful, God. You are faithful. 